0: No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details.
1: Attention, true crime enthusiast, Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night?
2: your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime.
0: Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
1: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the
3: family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
1: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
2: Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Noel. And our compatriot
1: Matt is on adventures, but will be returning soon. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You
2: To Know. Now, Noel, you just got off a plane, is that correct? I did, and I got the plane crud, and I hope I don't pass it on to you in this sort of fuselage-esque environment that Mm. we're currently inhabiting. That's fine uh, with me. Honestly, when I have a little bit of the
1: crud or a head cold, I love writing. It's I don't know. It does it does great stuff for creativity. Maybe it's because I don't feel like going outside and doing things. Also you know? true, Ben. Also true. Also true. What's uh, what, you and I have been on a lot of planes, as have you, Paul, and has have many people listening to this show today. And this is a question for everyone to think about. You and I can take a stab at answering this too right now if you'd like, Noel. What is the craziest flight you've ever had or what's the longest? And Are are you a person who's terrified of flying? I would say you're not.
2: No, I'm not. Um haven't been on any super long flights in a while, but – Uh, I think I maybe mentioned this on on our other show, Ridiculous History, when we talked about luxury airlines and Mm -hmm. why they don't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Check that one out. But uh, there was one time where – and this is going to be – this makes me sound like such a tool, but I'm going to say it anyway in the quick version. There was one time where I'm used to taking Delta uh, where they have USB chargers and screens on the back of the chairs in front of you. And I took a Southwest flight for the first time. And didn't have like a power brick for my phone, and I uh, was expecting to, you know, have a USB and didn't have one, and my phone died, and I had to be alone with my thoughts for the
3: entire flight.
2: It was mm-hmm. terrifying. Especially if you're,
1: uh, it's so strange how quickly things become normalized. And if you're expecting something, not to crib too hard from our earlier episode on ridiculous history, but if you're expecting something, all of a sudden it's taken away, it's tough to recover from that. It really is. It's, it's, um, it's in a strange way. It's similar to uh, having two very different beverages next to your plates when you're eating, and then expecting you're going to, I don't know, drink water, but you accidentally pick up the juice or the milk, and your mouth goes, "What? Why? Or the kerosene? Or the kerosene? I want the kerosene. Very popular beverage here in Atlanta." It's strange that there are millions of people, frankly, terrified of flying, especially when you consider that statistically you are much, much, much more likely to get into an automobile accident than ever to be involved in a plane crash. But whether you love flying, or whether you hate those vast stretches of sky, sun, and cloud, whether you've been on a plane... Uh, you know, three times a week for most of your life, or whether you've never been on a plane or haven't yet, you have at least some inkling of the story of one Amelia Earhart, and this is the topic of our episode
2: today. So, here are the facts. Amelia Earhart was born on July twenty fourth, eighteen ninety seven, and she was the daughter of Amy and Edwin Earhart. lived with her mother's parents until she was twelve, uh, and they were quite wealthy, so she was a- afforded some some privilege, including. Um, Attending private school And then in 1909 Amelia and her Youngest sister Moved to Des Moines Is it, is it, is it you, you pronounce the S? I say De Moine. Des Moines Des okay, Moines I'm going to go with Des Moines, Iowa um, And that's where They were reunited With their parents Because their father Went to work For a railroad company And he moved there To join them And take that uh, That gig Yeah, they moved him to a new position. The family continued to move around from St.
1: Paul, Minnesota to Springfield, Illinois and so on. This was not a happy home. You see, Edwin Earhart had been waging uh, an unsuccessful battle with alcoholism for the entirety of Amelia's life and this experience with a Parent who had substance abuse problems gave Earhart a lifelong abiding dislike of booze along with a deep, deep desire for financial security. And you have to, you know, you, you can understand it when you think of the disparities she encountered in her life. She had very wealthy maternal grandparents and then struggling immediate parents, you know, so she saw both sides, the have and the have-nots of life. So in 1914... Amy Earhart, Amelia's mother, uh, takes the kids. She leaves her husband and they go to Chicago. In Chicago, Amelia graduates from the Hyde Park School in 1915. Interesting historical side note. In the yearbook, she is described as A.E., the girl in brown who walks alone. It's a dubious – what do they call them? Superlative. Superlative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: Honorific. Maybe. Is that a thing? Honorifics
1: are a thing, but I think honorifics are closer to
2: titles. I think you might be right, right? Ben. I think you might be right. Um, it's true. The girl in brown who walks alone. That's intense, actually. Yeah. It's almost like a ninja, wandering ninja kind of nickname, you know?
1: Unhappy, intellectual. I mean, high school Ben Bullen would have been all about Uh, getting her number, telegram
2: address. What did they do back then? No, not clear. Not clear. Maybe a particular Morse code uh, (laughs) uh, signal. Um, No, but she went on to go to a place called the Ogont School, which was a private high school. And this is interesting. I I never really heard of this. I guess it goes straight from high school to junior college, which I guess it's like the early year of college, or is it more of like a community college? Yeah, it feels like it's either a community college or a prep school, you know right because if it was a com- community college sort of is a as a, a a sort of like a second like not as Prestigious, right? It's a two-year program. A
1: lot of community colleges have a two-year program. And so sometimes people, for one reason or another, will take their prerequisites at a community college, two-year college, and then go for
2: the latter half of their college career at a more expensive institution. That makes sense. So um, then she went on to visit her sister, Muriel, who was living in Toronto. And that is where she uh, saw someone who had returned from World War I And had lost a limb in combat, um, an amputee. Yes, and this moves her. She immediately refuses to return to
1: her junior college, high school, and instead becomes a volunteer nurse in a veteran hospital. And then she also... During her time working as a volunteer nurse, she also becomes a pacifist. And this is something that she will keep for as far as we know the rest of her life. Emphasis on as far as we know. So that's, that's the, the early days of Amelia Earhart. But of course, most of us
2: know her for her aviation career. That's right. Another first for Amelia was in 1915 when she saw her very first air show and, and had the, um, the opportunity to actually ride on an airplane. She seemed to become passionate about things pretty quickly. She was very driven and had a sense of what uh, her mission was in life. I think that's an interesting part of her character. She knew right away that she wanted to take flying lessons, so she went to a place called Burt Canner's Airfield, which was on Long Beach Boulevard in L.A., uh, from a woman with a lovely name. Netta Snooks.
1: Yeah, yeah, Netta Snooks, which sounds like a made-up name, but is very real. But again, as I think we've said before on the air, all names are made up at some point. On December 15th, 1921, Amelia finally receives her license from the National Aeronautics Association. Or, nah. She was working part-time as a file clerk, as an office assistant, as a photographer, as a truck driver. And she was... Pinching her pennies, she was scrounging and saving, and she got a little bit of help from her mother, which enabled Amelia
2: Earhart to buy her own plane. Think about how extraordinary that is. Okay, first of all, like a little bit of scratch from her mother to buy a plane. Right. And we know a little bit about this plane, don't we? We do know a little bit about it. It was what was
1: called a Kinner Airster, just like the Kinner Airfield. Uh, Kinner Airster was... Uh, Two seat single engine biplane, so it wasn't, it, you know, it, it it was still a plane. It would get you in the air. You can actually see a photograph of Amelia Earhart and her instructor Netta Snook standing together by the by the Airster.
2: Oh yeah, so it's like it looks almost like one of those fighter type planes you would have seen in uh, in World War One.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a biplane, I guess.
2: you'd yeah, call that? Exactly, mm-hmm, Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and. She loved this plane, and she was – it was it was such a, a tremendous moving moment for her to be able to purchase her own plane. That's still a pipe dream for a lot of people here in 2019 as we record this. However, flying, as anybody with a pilot's license can assure us, can be a very expensive hobby, and she could afford to buy the plane, but she could not afford to continue flying. You know, the maintenance fees. Fuel. Fuel, definitely. So eventually, she sold her plane, and she bought an automobile. She drove her mother to Boston, where her younger sister Muriel was teaching school. And a little bit after that, she re-enrolls in college. She goes to Columbia University in New York City, but she doesn't have the scratch, again, to continue studies for more than one year. A little bit dejected, she returns to Boston. She becomes a social worker. She joins the National Aeronautics Association, and she still, in her spare time when she can, finds, uh, finds opportunities to fly. So I wonder what –
2: do you think she must have just like taken a class or like, you know, rented one for the afternoon or –
1: I guess so, yeah. That feels like a big trust fall. Really? Here, rent my plane. Rent
2: my plane, exactly. So then in 1928, uh, Earhart gets a pretty incredible opportunity. Um, You guys remember Charles – W.E. Charles Lindbergh um, who became the first person – uh, obviously, a man to fly alone across the Atlantic Ocean back in 1927. So, this guy named George uh, Palmer Putnam um, was the editor of a book uh, about Charles Lindbergh's voyage, and decided to kind of drum up some PR uh, with a, a sort of a stunt that he would have we have seen it as a stunt at the time. It's like, hey, let's 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 put a lady on a plane, you know? We'll, we'll put make a make a lady do the same flight because that that's crazy. That could never happen. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, you'll put
1: a dame up in a biplane? Oh
2: goodness <laughs> gracious! Yeah, the 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 uproar must have been uh, marked. So he dubs her uh, Lady Lindy um, because of yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit on the nose and kind of a little misogynistic to say the to say the least, mm-hmm. um, and decides. To make her kind of the star of the show. So um, puts her on a plane with a pilot by the name of William Stoltz and a mechanic uh, by the name of Lewis Gordon. Um, And she crossed the Atlantic from Newfoundland to Wales on June 18th uh, through 19th of 1928. Um, But she wasn't flying the plane.
1: Yeah, and this really bothered her. She never once touched the controls of the plane and afterward described herself as little more than a, quote, sack of potatoes. Still, she became world-renowned as the first woman to fly the Atlantic. George Putnam clearly was uh, capitalizing on this this marketing opportunity. He became Amelia Earhart's manager and later— her husband, when they married in 1931. So here's what he did as her manager. He arranged all of her flying engagements in step with this exhaustive series of lecture tours. Like, uh, she would lecture for 29 days out of 31, like, in a row. Jeez. Yeah. And eventually, she grew irritated because she said, you know, I'm getting – I'm reading the press here and people are saying that I am not an actual pilot. That I'm more or less a puppet that my husband created for public relations purposes. So I am going to prove to people that I am a, the real deal, a genuine aviator. And this leads her to pilot uh, a Lockheed Electra from Newfoundland, Canada all the way to Ireland. This is impressive because a uh, Lockheed Electra
2: is a tiny, tiny, tiny plane a single engine. It's true. And lest you think you've made a mistake and you're actually listening to an episode of Ridiculous History, because that's sort of how it sounds with just the two of us doing a topic it's like true. this. Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of forgot myself for a second that w- what show we're doing. Um, but it, we're getting there. Guys, there's a twist coming, I promise. Yes, there is. On May 20th the 21st,
1: 1932, five years after Lindbergh makes his solo flight, Amelia Earhart becomes the first woman to fly— across the Atlantic solo. And for the next five years, she is a champion of women's rights as well as commercial aviation. She sets numerous world records. She gets accolades and awards from across the planet. And she decides, eventually, that she will circumnavigate the globe, that she will fly around the world. And after a brief word with our sponsors, we'll walk through
2: On July 2nd, 1937, just 22 days before her 40th birthday, Amelia Earhart and her navigator friend Fred Noonan vanished, partially through their attempt at circumnavigating the globe. Um, they vanished, we know this, they vanished somewhere between Leigh, New Guinea and Howland Island mm-hmm. and the Navy, well, the U.S. Navy searched um, the largest swath they'd ever searched for a missing person in history at that point, And they found neither plane nor crew. Then on January 5th of 1939, Amelia Earhart was declared legally dead after being missing for 18 months. So what happened? Here's where it gets crazy. Theories on the disappearance
1: of Amelia Earhart have proliferated for almost a century now. The official report concluded that Earhart and Noonan were unable to land on their, you know, their planned destination of Howland Island, and that while trying to find this destination, they ran out of fuel, they crashed into the water and sank. But, of course, that sort of explanation very little to quell suspicion, especially because there were no remains of plane nor person to be found. There are a couple of different theories that run counter to the official narrative. One theory suggests that the, – this is the weirdest one – that Amelia Earhart actually didn't die. She not only survived, but she returned to the U.S. She changed her name to Irene Bolum. B O L A M, and lived a long, long life in
2: obscurity. And there are actually some books written about this. But why? To what end? It's a strange. Was uh, she unhappy? What a, what a weird name to change her name to Bolam. No um, one suspects them, right? No, I guess not, right? That's true. It's very clear. I don't know, Ben. Are you are you potentially a, a missing uh, aviator?
1: No relation to Bolam. Okay, all right. You like how I didn't really answer your question? I do like that.
2: I, you know, I love it when you do that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. it's one of my favorite things in the whole I world. Um, so, in a, a book uh, by Joe Class from uh, the 1970s, I'm not quite sure exactly what year it came out, uh, called Amelia Earhart Lives. Um, this gentleman makes the case that Earhart was in fact captured. Um, and then taken to Saipan and then to Tokyo where she was a prisoner of the Imperial Palace until 1945. The theory argues that Earhart's secret was used as a bargaining chip after the war to allow the Japanese emperor to remain in power. What what secret is this, Ben?
1: The secret would be that they were able – that the Japanese government was using Earhart as leverage – to preserve the emperor's standing in the community post-World War II. The idea here being that there was a—what's uh, that term so popular nowadays? A bit of a quid pro quo? Oh, yes, Clarice. <laughs> a bit of a quid pro quo in that, uh, you know, if, if the Allies allowed the emperor to retain uh, the position of the royal family, then Earhart would be returned to the U.S., Of course, that doesn't explain the name change, right? So bracket that. We'll get back to that one. There's another uh, much more popular theory that we
2: wanted to share with you today. That's right. Another widely held belief is that Earhart and Noonan actually did touch down on a remote South Pacific island called Nikumaroro. Mm -hmm. Did I do okay there, man? I thought you did great. I'm not a native speaker. I'm 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 not either, but we always try to do our best. Um, And this, uh, at the time— uh, of their disappearance would have been uninhabited and was known as Gardner Island. Um, the Earhart Project, which is a division of the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, or, or TIGER, Tiger. <laughs> With
1: G-H, though,
2: T-I-G-H-A-R. I I still think that's pronounced Tiger. And it's an organization dedicated to investigating this hypothesis. Um, So Tiger's been investigating the island since 1989, and they've collected a ton of intriguing things related to the case. Uh, Improvised tools, remains of shoes, and aircraft wreckage parts, uh, which is consistent with um, Earhart's plane, an, an Electra. Exactly.
1: They also discovered that a few years after Earhart vanished, a British colonial officer found the remains of a castaway on what was then called Gardner Island, now known as Nikomororo. The bones were sent to Fiji for analysis, but ultimately they were misplaced and lost. Let's fast forward to the future. During Tigers, Tigar's 2010 expedition, their team found some of the most compelling clues they had ever seen. They were looking around in a spot where they had previously identified what was likely the remains of a campfire, and they found three pieces of a pocket knife. They found shells that had been cut open, a glass cosmetic jar, fragments thereof, little bits of makeup, and bone fragments that they thought might be from a human being. Now, let's let's put our skeptic hats on because we're going to talk a little bit about a History Channel documentary. Uh, Did you hear about this one? No. You know how History Channel and a lot of the cable TV channels have those investigative shows, and sometimes they're top-notch, very well-researched, very honest, and other times they're a little too George Sucolos, you know, saying ancient aliens kind of stuff. See the guy with the fro? hmm
2: Yeah, yeah. It's less of a fro and more of just like a wild hairdo. I would say it's a mane. Yeah. He's a he's a nice guy, I've heard. I like his I, I like his whole name and hair situation. Mm. Sucalos. just Fun to say. It's got a nice mouthfeel. Yeah, no, it's true. Um and this one was of that variety. No? Was it good? Well, this is the question we leave to you and your fellow listeners, right?
1: The name of the documentary was Amelia Earhart, The Lost Evidence, and it dives headfirst into the theory that Noonan and Earhart were captured by Japanese forces. In the documentary, there's a retired federal agent. His name is Les Kenny, and Les Kenny and his team search through records at the National Archives to find
2: any overlooked clues to the disappearance of Earhart. That's right. He and his team found a uh, photograph that was stamped with official Office of Naval Intelligence uh, marks that read Marshall Islands, Jalui Atoll, uh, Jalui Island, Jaloui Harbor. Um, In the photo, a ship can be seen that's towing a barge with an airplane on the back of it. And then nearby on a dock, you can see several people. And Kenny argues... The photo had to have been taken before 1943 because U.S. Air Forces uh, conducted more than 30 bombing runs on uh, Jaloui in 1943 and 44. Uh, He believes – or through. That was like a range of time. So Mm -hmm. they did it quite frequently. He believes the plane on the barge is the Electra and that the two uh, people – or two of the people on the dock are Earhart and Noonan. And then we
1: have a weigh-in, also in the same documentary, from Doug Karner and Kent Gibson. These are forensic analysts. And Karner looked at it and said, okay, no one has messed with this photo, meaning no one has altered it. It was from that time and it is legit. And then Kent Gibson Specializes in recognizing faces, and he says it's very likely that the two individuals they point out on the dock there are Earhart and Noonan. Both of them also say that the ship in the photo is a Japanese vessel called the Koshu Maru, and they think this is the ship that took Earhart and Noonan away after they survived that crash landing. If that is you believe the television show. That's where we have our skeptic hats on. You know what I mean? Because we have to ask ourselves, not in any way being uh, derogatory toward the experts in the show nor to the the history channel or, or what have you. We have to ask ourselves how much of this we believe. And it's it's a good question. We have to ask ourselves how sincere or how disingenuous some of these outfits can be, you know? What was the name of the ship in question? The Koshu Maru. Is that the same as the Kobayashi Maru? That is uh, similar. I thought the same thing, but it is not the unsolvable scenario in Star Trek. Exactly. Isn't it, though? Training.
2: Isn't it, though? Uh, uh, An unsolvable scenario?
3: I'm sorry. I, uh, oh, just, uh, I, just I get it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. For, for the I, Amelia
2: Earhart version, we could call it, like, uh, that Maru. The Earhart Maru? Oh, yeah, no, no, the, the Koshu the, Maru. The Koshu Maru. The old Koshu Maru. Yeah. Remember Bats Maru? That was always my favorite Sanrio San character. Oh, God. Yeah, barely. Bats Maru, was, a, was he a penguin? I can't remember. I don't know. Let's see. This is not important. We're taking a little sidetrack here. Bats Maru. Um, uh, a penguin, you're right. He's a little penguin hair. with four little spiky yeah. hairs. Coincidence? Always looks like he's in the, just the worst mm. mood. He's, he's, a, he's a little cranky guy. He's a, little, I, you know, I. I He's was got dead eyes. He's staring you like, uh, like he wants to murder you. Kristen staring you Dunst eyes, yeah. Ben, to Double down on that? Yes. Weren't you finger wagged by the public? Was I? I thought you were. I thought somebody reached out and said something about how that they didn't think it was very nice that you would uh, malign Kristen Dunst's eyes in that. Well, way.
1: I don't think it's very nice that they're anti dead eyes as someone who has a pair of dead eyes themselves.
2: Funny story. Again, don't want to get derailed too yeah. much, but this is worth describing. Um, a buddy of, of ours, you, you, we, we we both uh, know, uh, his name is uh, Connor Ratliff. He's a comedian with the Upright Children's Brigade. He made a podcast called Dead Eyes because he auditioned for a Band of Brothers. Remember that mm-hmm. uh, television sequel to Saving Private Ryan that uh, Tom Hanks had something to do with he directed? And he was cast but then fired in the 11th hour and an agent made the horrible mistake of telling him Mr. Hanks – Says he decided you have dead eyes, and now you're gonna. And that now he like made a podcast series about how he wants to like track down Tom Hanks and get to the bottom of this whole dead eyes situation. So you can check that out. It's on. It's on the interwebs.
1: It's and to be fair to Kirsten Dunst, who is I think a great actor, Uh, I'm particularly doubling down on her role in Interview with a Vampire. Not her fantastic turn in that series of cheerleader movies. Do you remember those? Was it Bring It On? Bring It On. Bring It
2: On was great. Yeah. Stomp the Yard. No, that was, a, that was another one, right? It was more of a stomp movie. Right. But it was yeah. in that same time. Time where, genre. <clears throat> there were a lot of, uh, uh, br- uh, what is it, Bring It On? Mm-hmm. Is that what she just said? Yeah. No, there's another one, though. Uh, You Got Served. That's right. Where it's like, I'm going to dance up on you. Remember Mm -hmm. South Park made fun of that? Mm -hmm. It's so funny, Ben. I was just briefly scrolling through Instagram, and our friends over at Unladylike uh, posted today— this maybe is going to be prescient for the story— a headline from back in these days, Amelia Earhart weds GP Putnam. But Atlantic Flyer will remain Miss Earhart for business purposes and writing. Exactly. Yeah, this was this was a huge, huge deal. This is one of the most
1: famous people on the planet. No smoke, no hyperbole. So it's it's no wonder that there was such an extensive, expensive search for these missing aviators. And it's also no wonder that the media became obsessed with it. It's correct. It's absolutely correct to be skeptical of uh, the the television show. Again, we're not saying it's not true. We're not saying it's manipulative. We're just saying be aware of <laughs> be aware of the motives behind some of those sorts of programs. Anyhow, there are other things that add tantalizing bits to the cauldron of conspiracy. Here, one is that a number of the residents of Marshall Islands claimed they witnessed the aviators land there. And the Marshall Islands issued stamps commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Earhart flight. And the stamps show Earhart's plane crash landing at Mili Atoll and the recovery of that plane by the Koshu Maru. This leads to one question. Okay, so this is a lot of fun as a thought exercise to say what if the people on the plane survived the plane crash, which is a difficult thing to do. And what if? Japanese forces took them captive. The big question is, why on earth would they take her captive? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time.
2: You name the position. Warehouse worker. Retail associate. Grocery store clerk. Fitness trainer. Baker. Stylist. Bellhop to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
3: This is Uncanny USA.
1: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) And we're back. So people who believe this theory don't believe that the Japanese forces were just, you know, randomly capturing people for funsies. And they don't think that they captured Earhart specifically because she was a celebrity. No. You see, people who believe in this uh, post-crash survival abduction scenario Also believe that Amelia Earhart was a spy, was working as a secret agent for Uncle Sam. Partially, this is based on the fact that she did have a documented close friendship with Franklin Roosevelt and
2: his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. And folks who believe this theory tend to suggest that the plane crashed after the pilots uh, veered off course in order to uh, pursue a spying mission over Japan-occupied islands in the Pacific.
1: Right. And the thing about that is it feels plausible because they're in the right place. They have a great cover. You know what I mean? They can always fly over some islands and then just say that they got lost, right? And this is is fascinating to me because we have seen – accusations similar to this kind of thing happened before in the world of espionage. As a matter of fact, a few years back, there were three, uh, three Western students arrested in Iran because they had uh, apparently crossed over the border. They were arrested as spies. They were all in their early 20s, and they're, ostensibly they were just hikers with a very bad sense of direction. And that story kind of disappeared from the news. But it is is—it is an excellent cover story to just say, no, whoops, <laughs> we were, you know, we were in the air for so long. We just got a little mixed up. Yeah, it doesn't really quite add up. Yeah, it's a little, yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of just suck in air between your teeth and go, all right, yeah,
2: maybe. My teeth are cold sensitive. I can't suck air between my teeth like that. Oh, man. I know. It hurts me right to the core of my root. Well, the, prob- the yeah, the root of your dental
1: roots. <sighs> it probably uh, it probably makes you seem like a nicer person because you don't have that expression in your nonverbal vocabulary. I do this, though. Suck my teeth. Yeah, yeah. I remember a few years back, uh, one of my friend groups literally banned me, for suspended me for a while from saying tut-tut.
2: That's very tut, Ben.
1: <laughs> I know. And then I just started describing things as
2: tut. Just one tut is, is a little less egregious, I would, I would argue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, also, it's uh, it's a little more dismissive. It's calling something tut means you don't have time for both tuts.
2: Oh, dang. <laughs> you're right. Because tut-tut's scolding, but tut is almost like, shh, Yeah, you're a real sucker. I don't even have time for the second tut for you.
1: And I've actually been able to propagate that one. That's weird. I, I use it. It, I, everybody knows what we mean when we say it. Yeah,
2: and every time, I just want you to know, Ben, every time I use it, <laughs> under my breath, I give you credit. Thank you. <laughs> Very
1: well. That's That uh, must be an interesting conversation for people. And this, so this is strange, though. It's, it's plausible, or no, it's possible. It is plausible that, Spycraft will be conducted that way, but it's a little bit of a leap to say it was definitely Earhart. The story, however, does not end there. We mentioned those uh, the the British forces that found those thirteen bones, including a skull, on the island. They sent a telegram after the discovery. This back in the '40s, and they said it was possibly the skull of Amelia Earhart. But doctors who examined it at the time said it belonged to a short European male. Even now, some people disagree with this assessment. But here's the question. If the 13 bones they found did in fact belong to Amelia Earhart, what happened to all the other bones in a human skeleton? Where did they go? There's a weird theory. It's that giant coconut crabs uh, consumed the flesh and carried away the bones. And...
2: Coconut crabs actually do that kind of thing. Have you seen a coconut crab? Do you D- know what I'm talking about? Did we about? not talk about them in the, yes. the cryptid sequel episode? How yeah. they were we mistaken because they're so bonkers looking? Mm-hmm. They're gigantic. First of all, these creatures are crazy looking. Mm. Yeah, we, again, forgive us if this is redundant, but um, they, they look like something of like a – uh, a face hugger uh, meets a, a lobster, meets a crayfish, meets a crab, um, and they're they're heavily armored, and the limbs are all kinds of Cthulhu esque, and they can crack coconuts. They just wrap their weird, you know, chitinous arms—what do you call them? Limbs—around these coconuts, and they can crack them right open. And as we all know, that's a that's a hell of a job. Yeah, absolutely. This they they look like. the
1: the hybrid of a lobster and crab that also took a lot of steroids. They look like that arthropod that's been juicing. And what we found is that they are capable of moving bones. So they could have taken those other 193 bones in the human skeleton and moved it around. But at this point, we have to pause and ask ourselves, what is the most likely sequence of events here? Well, remember the uh, Amelia Earhart lives guy, Class? It turns out there is a real Irene Bolum, and she was super not cool with being accused of being Amelia Earhart. She sued Klaas' publishers for $1.5 million and said, I'm not Amelia Earhart. I've got pictures from, uh, of myself from the 30s that prove it. Stop bugging me. And pull this book from
2: publication. Is she holding up newspapers of the day. That's the reason, Come on, that's the only thing that's going to take to convince me. You got to hold up a newspaper.
1: That's the only thing that checks out. It's the only thing. Yeah. So we have another. We have another series of developments here. Dr. Aaron Kemmerley, a researcher at the University of South Florida, was recently asked to examine some of those bones that have been rediscovered at a museum on this island, Nikumaroro, to see if they might be. Earhart's actual bones because as we said before they have been examined in the past but they mysteriously disappeared in Fiji and now experts are thinking the bones have been found again at a museum and cultural center in Kiribati the bones were stored in this large box where there are several sets of different remains that had all been stored together one set was female and matched Earhart's rough description as we record now. Just this year, just, just a little while ago, these bones were sent for DNA testing, and the plan is to compare the DNA from the bones against the DNA of Earhart's one living niece. So, while the mystery remains for now, we're closer to a solid answer than we've ever been before.
2: Wait, so this is ongoing? This is like mm-hmm. the, 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 the tests are in the mail? Yeah,
1: like October of 2019. That's pretty cool. When are we going to hear we don't know. You know, it's weird because we we get these uh, close calls, these tantalizing brushes with answers in DNA cases all the time. Right. right? Like
2: there was one involving the Zodiac killer right. that uh, was you know the team we work very closely with that does the the Monster Zodiac series. We're really hoping it was going to be a big scoop at the end of the of the series, and it did not pan out. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, absolutely, or we're still waiting. Right. And this is another waiting game. That's where we'll leave it today. But we want to hear from you. This concludes our episode, but not our show. Let us know what you think happened to Amelia Earhart. Do you think that there's enough evidence to prove that uh, either she or Noonan or both of them survived for a time after the plane crash? Do you think it's just a case where humanity likes a good story and a good mystery? What do you think the DNA will find? Were they secret lovers? Were they secret lovers? Were they secret spies? Also a question. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter where we are conspiracy stuff, conspiracy stuff show, or some combination of the two. You can also find us as individuals on the internets.
2: Yes, I am at how now noel brown exclusively on Instagram. And I
1: am on Instagram as at Ben Bolin, creative, I know. That handles my magnum opus. I'm also on Twitter as Ben Bolin HSW. If you say, guys, I have something really important to tell you, but I don't like the social needs, we of all people get it. You can call us directly.
2: That's right. We have a a hotline, the hottest of lines, where you can reach us at one 833 S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. Um, you can call with a friend and speak as one voice in unison. I'd be impressed if you did that.
1: Mm -hmm. Especially if you didn't write it down beforehand. Just mind melt like we do. Yeah, the improv one voice game. Always a winner. And let's be honest, uh, you're going to be (laughs) the first person to hear you will be Matt Frederick. So be kind
2: because uh, we, like you, hold him dear to our hearts. I know. I mean, he is a a real glutton for punishment with these. He has notifications turned on. So the moment that you call in, be it three in the morning, our time, he gets that doorbell sound effect that you hear at the beginning of the show, or you might even be hearing now, uh, and that wakes him up, and he listens to your message, transcribes them, cuts them up into delectable bites, mm-hmm. and then, I'm not, none of that's true, but he, he is the first line of defense when it comes to these, and whenever you hear us do one of those call-in episodes, typically it's because Matt has curated the best and brightest uh, of your messages, so if you want to be part of that crew... Do us a solid and leave us a message. Do us another solid. Write us a kind review on your podcast platform of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, if you wish. Uh, we would very much appreciate it. And if you don't want to do any of that, which we hope we hope you will, but if you don't want to do any, or you just want to do some of it, uh, you can also do one more thing, and that's send us a good old-fashioned email where we are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
0: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Attention,
1: true crime enthusiast, Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries
2: that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.